All right, welcome everybody. Um, my name is Danny, as Pastor Hojin just said, Danny Yoon. I'm one of the staff members here, and I particularly oversee the college ministry as well as the worship ministry. Um, so if you're a college student and you're new, you can come find me later and say hi. Um, if you can't, you can definitely, like Pastor Hojin mentioned, just find someone with the orange apron and they'll get you connected to me. Um, it's really great to see all of you here. Um, I never thought that we would say, oh, and people in the other theater, like, this is really weird. So for those of you who are watching in the camera in the other theater, hi to you guys too. Um, it's really awesome to be here with you guys all. Um, so as Pastor Hojin mentioned, like so many of you are new. And so we just really want to connect with you and help you to find a spiritual family and home uh, what, for whatever time you're in Boston and whatever brought you to Boston. So many people come here for the amazing colleges and universities in our city and for the different jobs and programs that we have here. So if you're new to Boston, welcome. A little fun fact about me, just to get to know each other better, I guess it's not that fun. A fact about me is I grew up here, like I'm one of the few locals. I have a feeling 90% of the people in this room are not from, you don't consider Boston your home. Uh, but this is my home, so I'd love to introduce you to uh, the best sports teams in the world. And many of you don't know what championships are, but we can show you what they are. <laughs> We'll gladly show that to you. Um, so uh, if you ever want to go to a Sox game or something, I'm down to go with you. So I don't know if I drank too much coffee. I got the jitters. Uh, we got to kind of, I don't know if it's you guys, it's Holy Spirit, probably that little bit of mixture. It's the Holy Trinity, caffeine, you people, and, and uh, Holy Spirit. Um, uh, but I'm just going to calm down a little bit, and maybe you need to, too. I woke up this morning, alarm went off, and within minutes I was like sprinting out the door, coming here, and we were getting ready, and we're still new to this building. Like, you guys are new to the church, but we are still figuring out how to set up, where's the like outlets and all that kind of stuff, so we have hectic mornings. Maybe you're like me and you had a hectic morning, your alarm went off, you like rushed to catch the bus, or if you're a student, uh, you know, some of your campus leaders said, hey, meet us here for the, for the tea or for our walk to Kendall, and you didn't even think about God, you just kind of thought about like, what you were going to wear, and you zoomed out your door, and somehow you ended up in a church service, and you're following lyrics on a screen and about to hear a sermon. I'm actually like that, too. Um, I just frantically ran out my door. And so uh, if you're like me and you need that, like 10, 30 seconds, however, let's just take a, a quick breath, um, close our eyes, and I'll pray for us as we open ourselves to God's word. Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you are not here with us right now, and if everything that we do from the beginning of setting things up, from the welcoming team and worship ministry, to the service in between, to every person singing a lyric on a screen, or listening to a sermon, or giving a dollar to the cleanup, and everything from beginning to end, if it's not about you, then we've missed the mark. This is all for you and for your glory. So we pray along with the psalmist who says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We thank you for the treasure, the gift. It's the greatest possession we own, your word. We like to think it might be our nice new car or our homes or our, our laptop or something like that, but it's, it's the Bible that we have 
on our phones, on our tablets, computers, some of us on paper, whew, if any of us still using paper Bible. It's the greatest possession that we have. And so we're thankful that we have the freedoms in this country and to be able to come together with a group of other believers who are committed to following your word and wanting to know it closer. And so we pray that you would accomplish that great work inside of our hearts right now, that we would know your word better, that we would follow you closer. And I also pray that you would knit our hearts together as fellow sisters and brothers, knit us together and unify us. And we, with one collective voice, bring glory and honor and praise to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little over eight years ago, in July 2013, my wife, Unji, and I got married. So, you know, a lot of you are new. Yeah, she's in the back. Um, and we, we, were, we, like I said, we're from here, so up on the North Shore in a town called Danvers. We had a little, tiny, um, under 100-person wedding with our friends and family, and I had a really awesome time celebrating together. And as it's obvious, when you get married, so much of your life changes. Like, things are never the same again. Your life shifts in, in big and small ways. So for some examples, like a really small thing is, like, we start wearing rings, and uh, that's a super small example. But for me, like, I, I really don't like jewelry. I don't like things on my body. You're never going to see me wearing a watch or a necklace or anything like that. So even wearing a ring was a big deal. So a little bit bigger deal, um, her last name changed. It's like her, many of you don't know that her last name was actually Cho, but now it's Yoon. It's going to be like a trivia question at a college retreat to win, like, ramen in the future. Bank that, across, uh, bank that away, college students or the campus leaders. We live together. You got to get used to each other's quirks and annoying habits and who does what chores and whatnot. A big thing is our possessions all became one. It's no longer your stuff and my stuff. It's our stuff. Our bank accounts are the same. I get to police what she buys because I see all of our credit card statements and tell her she's wasting our money. All of our stuff is the same. What also changed is our intimacy. We're all adults here. We can talk about it, right? What is every guy looking forward to after getting married? I'm going to just say it out loud. Having separate taxes, but now having joint file taxes. <laughs> we get to joint file our taxes. It's such a blessing in our change in our married life because we have such a great tax life. We're very satisfied. <laughs> now, all of this is important stuff, but there was a far greater change that happened on our wedding day that none of you would be able to see with your eyes. It's, you're not going to find it on our wedding video. You won't see it in any of the photos. It, it's not visibly seen. See, the greatest change was that we entered into the wedding in the processional, in the ceremony, as two individuals. I was waiting at the altar. Unji walked down the aisle with her father. We had the ceremony, and then at the end, we were dismissed, the recessional. In this picture, in this recessional, we are completely, we look exactly the same, we were actually completely different human beings in this picture. We were unified, made one. We now completely belong to each other. See, when we become Christians and we commit to the church, a very similar thing has happened to you in your life. Maybe you were little, maybe it was recent, maybe you haven't done that yet. But when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, something very similar happened that a, a camera could not picture or, or capture. A picture or video is not visible in those things or on a screen. Because what's happened to each and every single believer once you cross that line of faith is that 
a marriage-like unity has happened to you, a transformation in, your, in our togetherness. See, what's occurred is way more uh, impactful and important than uh, who you're sitting next to on a Sunday morning or which church building you choose uh, when you're church shopping or what small group you're placed in by a volunteer or a pastor on a Google Doc at home. The much greater transformation that's happened is that now we fully belong. We belong fully to God, and then we fully belong to one another. So in this sermon series that we've been going through, and this is the last week, we've addressed how the church and Christianity as a whole has been just super deconstructed in the past couple years especially. Some of it has been for the better. The church will be much better off for the long haul because of the past two years or so. Some of it was definitely for the worse. Some of the things that we saw on TV, some of the things that happened on social media. And most of it, good and bad, was both painful, maybe traumatic for many of us. As Pastor Hojin mentioned in past weeks, uh, we have close friends that we grew up in the church together with that say they'll never step back into the church. They denounce their faith. I imagine a lot of us in this room have friends and family who've done the same thing because of how much the church has been deconstructed. So now is the time for those of us still clinging to our faith to rediscover the bride of Christ. I know we like to throw out a lot of different names for church, but today, this morning, I'm going to use that title, Bride of Christ, with a lot of intentionality. I'm not just saying that because we like, that's what it is, the bride. No, the bride of Christ is what we need to discover and cling to together. So we're going to be reminded of the Bible's teaching of the church being the bride, and what that means for each and every one of us as we rediscover the church. So for today's text, we're going to be reading two separate passages from the book of Revelation. Many of you know that it's it's my favorite book in the Bible. I love it, so I'm super excited to talk about it today. And the first passage we're going to read is towards the beginning. The second passage is toward the end. But they're the same people that are going to be in both passages. So it's the same people talking. Um, It's the same group. So we're going to be reading from Revelation 7, 9 through 17, and then Revelation 19, 6 through 10. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on his throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear, for fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So two quick points this morning. We belong to God and we belong to each other. I hope that when you leave the building, you you can forget a lot of things that I say, but remember, we belong to God and we belong to each other. So firstly, we belong to God. So here in John's vision, right, in Revelation, we're at the end times. This is when Jesus comes back again. He's ready to make all things new. The old has gone. The new has come. It's going to be a time where we fully dwell with God and he with us. We're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And in a number of different moments, as we read in our two passages, in this narrative, John describes a very specific and special group of people. We read, A great multitude, no one could count, every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes. We skip a little bit. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. This is the same people. Like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So the wedding of the Lamb and the bride has come. And this multitude is described as wearing white. Wearing fine linen, bright and clean. Who wears white at weddings? Kelly Kapoor. No, the bride. (laughs) Those of you who are new, if you understood what joke that was, you're going to fit in real well here. Uh, The bride wears white at weddings. What we have here is a picture of the church all dressed in white. The church is the bride of Christ. That's where we get this from. This is the celebration between Jesus and his people. So when you became a Christian, your identity changed forever. And from that moment on, you belong to him with such a powerful connection that is like a spouse. See, one of the best memories and moments of the many that I had during our wedding, um, you know, it tops the list of the really cool things, is, is uh, when Unji and I had our first look. It was really cool. So my groomsmen, they blindfolded me and led me to some random place, and I was just, like, hoping that I wasn't going to trip, and they just left me somewhere, and they were like, wait here. And, you know, okay, so I'm, like, nervous. You know how like, people say you get butterflies in your stomach? I felt like I had wasps in my stomach. It was like stinging me. It was so, so nervous. And finally, she tapped me on the shoulder. And then for the first time that day, we, the, we saw each other and embraced. And I got to see my wife, my bride. It's hard to describe what kind of fuzzies was going on on the inside. You, you just, it's like such a powerful, powerful feeling. And when I think about it, To think that God sees his church this way, but way better, way stronger, way greater, and in a perfect love, my love is super imperfect, but in a perfect love, it just boggles my mind that he would love the church this much. Because when you think about it, the church that we talked about at the beginning that's been deconstructed, it's super imperfect. You know, every bride, you know, we take pictures and we're guests at weddings. We're like, oh, my God, you look so beautiful. Like, you're, you're dazzling and radiant. Nobody's saying that about church, right? 
Church is imperfect. It's flawed. It hurts people. It makes mistakes from the, from the newest comer to the, to the leaders who are famous and on TV. We hurt people. We're, we don't look dressed in white and pure like the beauty of a bride. But God still looks at the church with like googly eyes and is so in love. Jesus looks at his church with a greater affection than any groom ever did on his wedding day. I know a lot of us, a lot of people are burnt by the church or have a distaste for the church, but thank God, right? Thank God that he is rich in mercy. That no matter how imperfect we are, he still loves us more than we could fully comprehend. And rediscovering the church, it has to start not with our opinions. It has to start with how God feels about the bride. We belong to him. We are his most treasured possession that he loves. We belong to God. Secondly, rediscovering the church starts with remembering that we belong to one another. We belong to each other in this group and even beyond. Capital C Church. So as we read, the bride is made up of a multitude no, so great no one could count. That's what John sees in this vision in Revelation. He says, every nation, tribe, people, language, it's a big group made into one, a multitude unified into the singular church. So what this means is that Jesus is not preparing for himself billions of brides, like a bunch of individual Christians throughout the generations who repent and follow him. No, no, no. He's making us one. Together we are the bride. Therefore, we belong to each other. We are not individuals in this journey. We are a collective group, a body. This, however, is perhaps where most of us will get hung up in our rediscovery of the church. This is perhaps why most people deconstructed church, because of the people part. I think everybody in this room and beyond are really cool with the idea that God looks at us with such love. Who's going to be like, ah, I don't want that? That's pretty cool. I'm not so sure about the people that I'm being lumped together with. I don't know if I want to be associated with the people that I saw on the news who were carrying a cross, wear lots of Jesus clothes, say they, well, actually, they probably do go to the church every single Sunday. They probably know their Bible really well, but they do other things too. I don't know if I want to be lumped together with those people. I have a problem with that, with the church. So my wife and I, we, we had our baby Judah, our son, three months ago. And, you know, we decided to name him Judah, and that will be a story for the future. But we did have a tricky time figuring out what we would decide to name him. We had a pretty interesting experience that was a little bit unexpected. Right? So we were bouncing back ideas, and we weren't, like, you know, agreeing with each other. So finally, it was like, okay, like, let's make a list, and what do you want? And Unji asked me, like, oh, so, like, okay, like, so if you want a biblical name, then, like, who are some of the biblical figures that are your favorites. So I was like, okay, and just like thinking out loud, well, like, okay, definitely Paul, the Apostle Paul. David is somebody that, you know, that I really enjoy. Uh, Peter. So those are some guys. Okay, so like, let's pitch. So we're just kind of having this conversation, pitching each other uh, what we should name our, our coming son while she was still pregnant. So it started with, okay, so like, what about Paul? He, greatest missionary of all time. Think about the churches he planted. He wrote like, basically like all the New Testament he was a martyr. He gave up his life to follow Jesus. 
And then there was the, yeah, but, you know when you disagree, for some reason your voice goes up an octave? Yeah, but didn't he, like, ruin families and, like, murder lots of people? Oh, yeah. So, so what about David? He wrote, like, all, like, almost all the Psalms. He's the only person in Scripture who is said to be the man after God's own heart. That's an awesome title. Wouldn't we love our son to be named after someone who's after God's own heart? Yeah, but didn't he, like, like abuse his power and then rape and impregnate a woman and then kill her husband? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. What about Peter? Jesus changed his name. He said, you are Peter, Petros, which means rock, stone in Greek. You are Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. Yeah, but wasn't he like a really big coward? And isn't one of his most public sins his racism? Oh, yeah. So we're going back and forth. And have you ever had this realization? That our heroes of the faith were actually horrible human beings? That I bet you a lot of people in this room are named after biblical people? Have you ever thought of that? That they weren't good human beings? If, if, if Paul, let's use him, if he were the pastor of this church, maybe a lot of you wouldn't come. Maybe people would take us down. People like to think that if Paul were alive today, he'd have a megachurch. I disagree. I don't think he would have a megachurch. See, every single one of even our heroes, they had serious sins in their lives. They had great failures. And that's, it's, it's a stumbling block. It's a problem. See, one of the biggest viruses to our belonging to each other, to our beauty as the unified church of Christ, is the tendency for us to cut each other off for being a sinner. Or to use today's language, cancel. I can't begin to express how devastating a thing that is for the church and for Christians. Because it is completely antithetical to the found, very foundations of what makes us the church. It's poison. The church is built upon a foundation that every single one of us every, in history, we are broken sinners. We are broken, broken sinners who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Every single one of us come in here with filthy rags, with too much guilt and shame that you would ever want to show in public. All of us are, in fact, deserving of being canceled, of being cut off, of being outcast. That's precisely what you and I deserve. But the gospel that we preach, that we celebrate, that we sing about is precisely what contradicts that. Because those who come in with those filthy rags, they get their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb, ready for a wedding banquet that is reserved for them. That's what the gospel is. So the reason why people like Paul or David or Peter and just go down the list, that why there are still our spiritual heroes, and I don't have any shame. I don't have any shame that we named their son Judah. By the way, he wasn't a good person either. Because 
Even in, with, the, with their stains, God chose them. He redeems their lives, and then when they were transformed, they were faithful to the work that God set before them, and then they changed the world. God doesn't cancel people. We wouldn't have our scriptures. We wouldn't be here if God did what we do to each other. He saves people. He doesn't cancel them. He redeems people. He doesn't cut them off. And then he uses them for his glory and the good of the church. God gives his grace freely to each person who confesses Jesus as Lord, no matter what their past history was, no matter what their previous clothing is or was, they are guaranteed to be the one wearing white at the wedding. Pure and clean. When we truly rediscover the church in our heart of hearts and we decide, no, this is for me, we acknowledge that we belong to each other and we realize that sin is not what separates us. Sin is what unites us because we're all in the same boat. We're sinners that have been redeemed. We're sinners that have been unified, who've been turned and God is making us beautiful. People who wholly belong to him and who wholly belong to one another. See, I have a lot of problems in my life. I have baggage. I have sins that I would never want any of you to know. And you do too. We all do. But the beauty of why we can be here together is because God still loves us the same. And if you're committed to church, we're opening up our hearts to say, Jesus, come and take over And then we belong to him, and we belong to each other. We belong to God, and we belong to each other. So how do we live that out? Just one point, well, one big point, little things underneath. We wholly commit to the local church. Love the bride, friends. Be an investor, not a tourist. When you're a local, you're invested in your community. You care about the rise and the fall of the you know, the housing prices in your area, you care about the safety of the streets, you want your kids to be able to ride around their bikes without worrying about their safety, you don't want there to be glass and things shattered on the ground, you care about the quality of the schools, you show up to meetings, you want to know your neighbors, you want to buy local and support the local businesses and restaurants, you're invested, you care about what happens because the rise and fall of the community directly impacts you, so you care, you invest. You're committed because it matters to you. As a tourist, none of that matters. You show up in a place, you plop yourself for a week on vacation, you take what you want, you leave behind what you don't care for, and when you're gone, you just had a good time. Wipe your hands clean. Eh, Like You're never going to think about, oh, how's the local economy doing in that town? They're never going to cross your mind again. The thing is, tourists, we, we also put a demand on the locals, though. When it's summer and they know they're all coming, they have to ramp up, do more hiring. And yeah, maybe we help the economy by buying a cup of coffee or two. But we could care less the good or the bad that we do. It's just give me what I want and then I'm I'm out of here. Don't be a church tourist, friends. Many of you are new. And some of you may stay. I hope all of you do. But many of you are going to find your next church too because you're doing the rounds. Whether you stay at Cornerstone whether you end up somewhere else next Sunday. Bless that church. Love that congregation. I don't care if it's me. If you go to another church and there's a pastor there, go talk to him or her and say, hey, how can I love you guys? Love the congregation. How can I serve and help? 
come to that church or go to that church, whether it's Cornerstone or elsewhere, to be a part of the community that belongs to God and to each other. This means being present, obviously, showing up to things, and not just attending and bouncing. Like Pastor Linda mentioned it last week in the video that it's ironic that we're in a movie theater because we're kind of mentally trained to sit down, like don't make eye contact with people next to you, look up, and then go home. Don't do that. Like try to undo that inside of your body. We are at a theater, but stay, be present, mingle, ask questions. A way that you can love your church is giving financially. I know that it's like, oh, like pastors shouldn't talk about money when there's new people around. If you believe, whether you're old or new, if you believe in the mission that Cornerstone has, if you love what we're doing, help us to do more. Love the mission of God that is happening through this church. And I want to humbly ask that you trust the leadership at this church to steward your resources for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Pray. Come to our Thursdays, or if you can't, maybe some of you, oh, I work Thursday nights. Pray for the church. That's how you truly live out your belonging. Pray for everyone, from the newcomer to the leader to everyone in between. And participate in the life of the community. Embrace other people. Most of us are new. Even those who aren't, I know who you are because you've been around. All of us right now are super socially insecure. You're all faking it. <laughs> when we go out to the lobby, we'd be like, oh, hey seen you forever. Everyone inside is like, who am I going to talk to? So if you're an old timer or new, I'm talking to all of you. Embrace somebody. This could be your first Sunday. You still have a job to go around and engage with somebody. If there's a group in a circle and it looks like you're breaking into their, their club, who cares? Walk into and be like, hey, how are you? And if you are a circle and you see somebody on the outside, it's more on you to be like, hey, come in here. We need to embrace each other better. I know that when everyone feels insecure, it's like a battle. It's like, it's like you know, the mean girl scene where they're all like lions in the, in the cafeteria? We turn into that because we're like, oh, like, I need to like, get this insecurity off of me. We're all in wanting to be loved and embraced by somebody. And we all know what it feels like to be socially insecure, and that sucks. No one should feel that in a spiritual family where we belong to one another. These are just some ways that we invest we serve. Serve at our, at, at our church if you're going to stick with us. We hope you do. But if you don't, serve that church. Serve that congregation. See, as we rediscover the church and work out our faith, we've got to start with the fact that we belong to God. He loves us with this pure, perfect, amazing love, and we belong to each other. It's very likely that in this group, if you think about the circle of people that are seated around you, they're complete strangers to you. You don't know their name. Maybe you just met them a second ago, but you already forgot it. You still belong to each other. We are a unified, capital C, church, the bride of Christ. So I want to invite all of you here today to do this with us. If you're looking for a church right now, I want to invite you to stay and stick it out with us and be on this journey together with us. So we belong to God and to each other, and we're going to express that today in response directly right now. So of all the acts of worship that the church participates in, I know none, literally none, that better depicts our belonging than a joint participation in the Lord's Supper together in communion. Says so what this meal represents is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed. And it's through these symbolic elements that represent his sacrifice 
And it's because of his sacrifice that we can stand here and say, even with my filthy rags, I am white and pure. And God loves me. It's in his sacrifice that he unites sinners together in unity. And so we're going to take this meal together as a family, as belonging people. This is our family meal. And today, this is just a small miniature glimpse. We're seeing a tiny little part of what's promised to come. And I hope you do think about the real one that's going to come in the future. One day, it's not going to be an imperfect pastor that's leading this meal. It's going to be God himself. And one day, it's not going to be, sorry, stale Amazon crackers and fake Welch's purple drink. It's, it's going to be a feast, something delicious and amazing that you've never tasted before. And the most important part, not the food, is going to be who's going to be present at that meal. The triune God and all the saints of the generations eating and celebrating together at the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's going to be so awesome. So today, until that moment, and, and Sunday after Sunday, we have this meal, the communion bread and cup, reminding us to keep living our lives with only the nourishment of the bread of God, of, of, of Jesus, of everything that he does for, for us, which is why it's bread and wine, what gives us sustenance and life. So what we're going to do is go ahead and you can grab your elements. And today, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we do communion in a, in a number of different ways, right? Sometimes, you know, in the past we have people come in lines or take when you feel led. But today I want all of us to take together at the same time. So uh, go ahead and, and unpeel your... Top layer is just tricky, you know, like don't peel the, the juice part, just peel the, the bread. And you can hold the, the wafer in your hand. Cornerstone Church, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Because of his sacrifice, we now belong to him. Let's take and eat together. Okay, you can un- uncover your little juice part. Church, brothers and sisters, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Because of this blood, all the saints from all of history had their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And we belong to each other. Let's take it together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can't wait. We can't wait for that moment where we have, we participate in the wedding banquet of the Lamb and His bride. We can't wait to be there with each other. We can't wait to be there with those who have gone before us. But more than that, We can't wait to see the groom, to see you face to face, and to recognize that our only invitation there is because we have been bought at a price, that you broke your body and you shed your blood, you sacrificed your life so that we could be loved and embraced and so that we may belong. Until then, until that day where you decide to come again and where everything that's seen in John's vision and revelation comes. Until then, we want to commit ourselves to living out this belonging to you and to each other. 
We want to be men and women full of grace and love. We want to be committed to our local body. We want to be people that embrace others who are left on the fringes. We want to invest. We want to give our time and our resources. Most importantly, we want to give our love so that your bride can be made more beautiful. None of us here are disregarding our failures, our sins, our brokenness. We don't disregard the fact that we're still messed up. We make mistakes constantly, and we always will. And so do not distract us, God. Do not let us stumble from that, but fill us with grace like yours. Let us model you to one another, and let our commitment be to be growing in grace together, being a little bit, made a little bit more beautiful until one day we are made perfect and full. So Jesus, I thank you for every single uh, sister and brother that is in this room and, and in the other and watching at home. We pray that you would unite us and let us live out our belonging to the praise of your name, for your glory and honor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.